Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. And I can't quite believe I'm saying that it is the 23rd of February. Where has February gone? I'm not sure if it's just me that feels like February has absolutely flown by. But here we are. Um, if you're listening live, it is the 23rd of February. Um, if you're listening back, welcome back as well. And very excited today because we have got a guest coming to join us um, in a couple of minutes time. Just seen him arrived at the studio. Morning. I'm going to introduce him in a minute. Um, coming to talk to us about something a bit different that we've not covered on Teachers Talk Radio before. We're going to be talking about parental involvement. Um, and I know when I shared this on my socials this morning, I've already had a lot of people um, comment on what an interesting topic we're going to be looking at with our guest. And excitingly, um, our guest also is very well experienced in this area. So let me just introduce our guest and then we'll say good morning to him. So our guest today is Nick Huxley. Hello. Uh, Nick Huxley is an educator with over a decade of experience in primary education. He's currently a year four teacher. He's also the computing subject lead at Balfour Primary School in Brighton. Um, but the main reason why I wanted Nick to come and join us today is because he is an expert, having recently graduated with an MA in education on this topic of parental involvement in education. So good morning, Nick. Hello. Can you hear me? Yay, we can hear you. Thank you. <laughs> morning, morning. How's your week Hi. been, Nick? Good, thank you. Yes, yes. I uh, I normally work um, three days a week, so Wednesday, Thursday and Friday. So I, I switched my days around so I could be on here on Friday morning. Oh, thank you. Well, myself and my guests are very, very grateful for you for, for rearranging bits <laughs> to come and join thank us. Thank you for having me. Um, we are really excited to have you here. Lots of people very excited that we're going to be thinking about parents and carers today because... I don't know about you, well, I guess you will, Nick, because uh, you chose it as your topic for your master's, but certainly it does often feel like parents and carers are sometimes the forgotten piece of the puzzle. Would you agree? Uh, yes, definitely. Um, so a little bit of my background is that I am a parent myself. So uh, I retrained to be a teacher myself uh, about 12 years ago uh, mm -hmm. when my three children all started reception and year one and year two. I had a complete career change. Um, wow. So I've always I've always seen myself coming from that perspective, um, you know, and then you have that experience of your own parent, you know, parenting skills. And then mm -hmm. um, when you enter the world of education, you realise actually teachers often don't have the same views that parents have. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How fascinating. And I think definitely when you're a parent, you have that extra insight into what goes on outside of the classroom. So let's start right here. So really interesting there. I picked up. Um, that you are a career changer. Maybe can you tell us in more detail, Nick, and feel free yeah. to take as long as you like, because I know me and my listeners love hearing everyone's journeys uh, as teachers. So just take your time, tell us more about this journey into teaching, more about the life before teaching, uh, about how you retrained and what that looked like. Um, if you're happy, we, we're just going to sit back and yeah. relax. <laughs> sure, gosh, gosh, that's a long time now. So uh, I'm 51 now, so I've got to think right back. So um, yeah, I graduated from uh, University of Humberside, which um, I don't think exists anymore. So now it's like Lincolnshire, uh, in 1994, and that was a BSc in uh, telecoms. So then I entered a 12-year career um, in technology, uh, beginning of the internet, that era, 95, um, you know, video calls. I was involved in setting those up for big kind of you know, telecoms companies. Um, so, yeah, I had a great career there, you know, 12 years, but it was just a lot of travel. Um, so I decided, actually, that's not something when children, you know, children come along, that's something that um, I want to kind of, you know, step back from. So yeah, I became a stay-at-home parent um, for three years. So um, um, I looked after the three girls we've got. Um, then I started getting involved uh, in the PTA at, at their local primary school that they went to. Um, and I, for one year, became chair of the PTA. Uh, so that was quite a um, world unknown to me at that point. Um, and then I thought to myself, I don't really want to go back and doing that whole kind of commute, um, traveling abroad, international travel in that telecoms world. Um, and I always had in the back of my mind that I wanted to be a teacher. When I did my first degree in the early 90s, I used to, mm -hmm. when everybody used to have that Wednesday afternoon doing sports and things like that, um, I used to go and volunteer and read at a local local school. Wow, love um, that. Um, I remember very, very vividly, it was called the Pooh Bear Reading Club. 
um, sent out <laughs> sent out to kind of North Hull, um, which I had no experience of whatsoever. Um, so yeah, I always kind of thought to myself, I want to come back to that. And I even weirdly, when I finished my first degree, got um, uh, offered, accepted to do, to do a PGCE in uh, design technology at Leeds Uni. Um, I went for the interview, got you know got a place, and I thought actually that's not what I want to do at all. <laughs> that uh, kind of at that stage in my life. Um, but twelve years down the line, I felt ready to you know you know kind of enter that world. So yeah, mm -hmm. I did a PG did a PGC in Brighton because um, I'd I'd moved down to down there in kind of the interim period. Nice um, part of the world, by the way, Nick. Love it. Love <laughs> it. Down here in two thousand. Yes, it is. It's great. And university nice. in Brighton. You've got Sussex University, Brighton University. Um, yeah, and I I really got on well there. I did lots of placements in Brighton. Um, had kind of one job in kind of kind of a district of Hove, which is kind of a. It's always you know we always say Hove actually so it's Brighton and Hove. Um, yeah, and I've been at the school I'm at now kind of twelve years, but I I kind of trained in early years, so I was the three to five year uh, kind of cohort on PGCE. Um, so training mm -hmm. kind of early, earliest background, and I was kind of earliest lead at the school I'm at now, wow. for three or four years. So I think looking back on it, there, if I think about it, because parents are so important at that age group. You mm -hmm. know, you're the you're the first contact with school that they, you know, kind of new parents have ever had. They're handing their four year old over to you. So even from then, kind of parental communication for me was really important kind of informing parents what you know what we were doing in reception each mm -hmm, week mm -hmm. um and then i've kind of moved through through the school because it's a primary school and i thought early years is great but i don't want to be there the rest of my life kind of thing no disrespect for earliest teachers but i just needed to grow a bit more mm -hmm. um and being in a primary school it's it's been perfect i've gone to year two and then year three year four and so now i'm in year four um yeah. And with my kind of technology background, I've been the computing curriculum lead there for ever. I can't remember when I, when I <laughs> haven't been. So, yeah, and, that, and that's great because that's kept my eye on that technology side, which I, I secretly love anyway. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, and then I kind of got to 10, 11 years of doing teaching and then um, just thought I just need to... Um, it just felt like the right time to do something else as in like an mm -hmm. MA came along. So I still had very good links with Brighton University where I did my PGCE um, and the course leader of my PGCE called Sue Sturrock. Um, she had become in those 10 years, the course leader of the MA uh, course. So I was like, yeah, that, that's fair. Wow, it was meant to be. It sounds like it was meant to be. We get off, we got on really well PGCE and then I thought, yeah, there you go. So um, yeah, it was, it was great. It was it was difficult at the beginning because it was the um, lockdown basically. So it was what we're talking twenty twenty, the September of that year. Mm -hmm. um, I think I just you had more time at home, don't you? You think what, you kind of reassess your life a bit more, don't you? Kind of we were doing online teaching and that was really intense, but you're at home a lot more, and you just mm -hmm. think, yeah, I could, I need a new challenge if you like. I need to. I feel like there's lots about education. I don't. Uh, I don't understand or uh, particularly research as well so mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, yeah so I embarked on the MA in education um, and then so like I said that was during lockdown and there were quite a few like um, critical moments in lockdown obviously you we did online uh, we use google classrooms every day we do the videos every day mm -hmm. and it was um, it was quite intense on that second lockdown um, but it's like a window into people's homes, isn't it? So you're there and you kind of you really get to know the parents. Yeah, definitely. A lot more of what makes them tick. And um, uh, it became, you know, my opinion, a lot more kind of personalised, really, uh, mm -hmm. because you were talking to the children and you kind of they would log on and you'd be there to talk to you about their house. And they would often, you know, it almost went back to earlier as you know, the year three teacher, as in very bespoke teaching and uh, mm -hmm. you can extend the teaching around the house so yeah that there were a few instances then um uh, a critical incident was talking about um we had a staff meeting one day and we're talking about disadvantaged children so what are we doing for disadvantaged children you focus on that and i just felt it was like a one size fits all because i at that point i had a couple of disadvantaged children in my, in my class who kind of bucked that trend 
you know, they were excelling in reading, writing and maths. Um, and for my head, it became I, I could see the involvement uh, that their parents were having on learning, um, mm -hmm. through, you know, through lockdown. Um, and so that's why I decided to actually um, that could be a focus in the background of my first couple of years on my MA and then third year um, uh, for the dissertation. I put lots of things out there and I thought, no, I want to I want to have a look at that. Um, in a bit more depth mm -hmm. really and the reason i was thinking about it is because um you're always told it there's lots of research um talking about how uh parent involvement uh, how it impacts on attainment so parent involvement attainment there's lots of research link with that link mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but when i looked into it i was looking at okay yes you've got those benefits um and there's also research done on um how the aspirations of parents or how parents can influence the aspirations of children, you know, kind of wittingly or knowingly or kind of unknowingly rather. Um, but also um, the research of benefits of parent involvement was, was more about it being involved in the children's learning rather mm -hmm. than just just school activities. You know, you can you can take your child to school, you can go to parents' evening, go to school fair. That's not the same thing. It's all talking about involved in their learning mm -hmm. um but i i kind of found a gap well at least i thought i did anyway my tutor agreed that there's a gap um between um like the personalized perspectives of parents so in um in the kind of research if you like and um you know the policy side of it mm -hmm. um i couldn't really find anything where there was um it was almost like um kind of ironic but uh um that you had, uh, you know, parental parental perspectives were actually kind of missing wow. in educational research and policy. Um, Whether you know, like I said, they tended to focus on um, parental involvement with academic outcomes, but mm -hmm. not really kind of what the parents think or um, how are these ideas that we've got in policy of empowering parents. You know, the whole kind of um, you know the free school thing and where. Um, mm -hmm. You know, parents can choose schools based on, on attainment and outcomes. Um, uh, yeah, so you know, people were pushing that. But actually, what do parents think about that? And what are their what are their challenges that they might come up against, or or feel empowered as well? So, yeah, I I found that that's where I wanted to kind of focus on. That's Is great. That you just you found that that gap in the literature, right? The gap in the research. Yes, yes. Is that the kind of I thought rather than just me having a gut feeling, yep, yeah, I want to know more about what parents think, it's actually there is a gap in that research. When you look yeah, at the research, definitely. it was fascinating. It was kind of like lots of research on um uh you know, helping attainment, but they when they talk about parents' voices or parents' opinions, it's more to do with um asking head teachers what they think mm -hmm. about parents mm -hmm. or, or asking teachers what they think about parents <laughs> yeah. um, with, with challenges. Yeah. um so no actual i mean i did do quite an extensive history review but i might have missed it but that, that's the thing I, it, the fact that i it, it wasn't obvious anywhere and and i just felt there was a just like a disconnect there um and even from my view you've got all the narratives about um you know meritocracy so you must do you know you must do well at school attainment how does that affect, kind of affect um you know parents views if you like on on being involved in their child's education mm -hmm. do they feel that they they you know do they feel if you like um for want of a better word do, do, do they feel like a failure if they're not involved because mm -hmm, they're mm -hmm. maybe constantly told that you need to be you need to get your child this attainment otherwise they're not going to um, be successful in life um, so if you can't do that as a parent how does that make you feel oh you know whereas other parents might be empowered by that really exactly take it, take it and go with it so exactly but uh, I mean if we if we're not asking them <laughs> how do no. we know okay yeah. amazing so I've actually how today will work Nick we've got uh, the news at around half past that's um, six and a half minutes but 
basically what I've done, I've had a look um, at your kind of MA studies and I've made a list of questions if that's okay. And yeah, in a minute, right. we'll, um, we'll introduce the title of your master's study that you recently completed and you can tell us more. I was going to ask you um, a bit about the methodology. I know you've given your kind of justification for the background. I thought maybe you could share some of your findings and reflections and yeah. we can maybe think about like looking forward, like future direction. Um, but first of all, I just, while I was listening to you talking about your background, and thank you for sharing that, I've actually um, just made three little notes, if that's okay, just to pick up. Yeah, uh, firstly, okay. I love how you told us that um, during the pandemic, you thought to yourself, I need a new challenge. <laughs> and then you started your master's. I love that. Just like, oh, you know, global pandemic isn't enough um, of a challenge for me. <laughs> yeah. And I, I also got married there as well. So wow. kind of, uh, yeah, yeah. So, oh, you found, you found some glimmers of extreme joy um, in, yes. in a very trying time. And that's lovely. Uh, yes. But that just made me laugh. Um, and then sure, the actually, second thing. About that, it, sorry, you know, when I think about that, that is quite interesting. Is that, yeah, I did want an extra, an extra level. <laughs> Um, and then the second thing that I wanted to raise, um, you mentioned that you were a stay, stay at home for three years. Is that right? Three years, yes. Um, so obviously, I've, I've got three children myself, and I know that with each of them, um, you know, going to baby classes, I always noticed it was primarily the mothers bringing the children. And I just, I just wondered, did you find there was still this big gender disparity around you being a stay at home dad or or, you know, was it normalised? Did you find that, you know, you were in an unusual position to be a stay-at-home dad? I just wondered, like, oh what gosh, kind yes. of modern... Oh, yeah? Oh, my gosh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. So what, <laughs> Tell what, us what, more what, about so, that. So what was that? 12, 12, so looking like 15 years ago, aren't we? Oh, my gosh, yeah. I was really one. And also, uh, so we had one... So, so our, our eldest uh, then was like kind of in year one, but then had twins as well. So he looked... So then the twins were four... Um, then, oh my gosh, yeah, I was the, everybody would be asking me, <laughs> so, so why are you doing this? So, you know, what's, what's wrong with your wife? What's, uh, wow. she, kind of, it's, you know, kind of assuming that like some deficit thing that there was something, yeah, honestly, it was very, it was very interesting. It was very hard. And then, um, um, I just went with it really because I just thought this is quite amusing. Um, yeah. And I had another friend who, um, he did something similar. So he had triplets, so that's how we kind of met twins and triplet groups. And we were the only two dads in any of those groups we ever went to. The, you know, the, the the Wednesday morning football soccer top thing we used to do, the only dads. Um, not that we just did male activities with them. Mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. But, yeah. but uh, yeah, you know, going to ballet, the girls used to do ballet. I'll be the only dad there. Mm -hmm. um, and you just, you just go with it in the end. Yeah, you just... Uh, it is, if, I did, if I didn't have my other male friend, I think it would have been a bit lonely at times, definitely, mm -hmm. definitely, which, um, yeah, because you are, you're not, you're not ever really invited to those, um, you know, the coffee mornings, mornings no, not really, not <laughs> wow. really, oh, I, thank I think, you for I, sharing I that. I want no, it's, I, I've forgotten about that. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so, sorry, I'm just unearthing, you no, know, the uncomfortable past. <laughs> Nothing's off limits here on Teachers Talk Radio, I'm afraid, Nick. Yeah, like <laughs> um, and then just one more note that, that I wrote down when you were sharing your, your background. So you mentioned how you've been head of computing for a long time and you obviously have that key interest in using technology to enhance teaching and learning. So therefore, I was kind of surprised when I saw the title of your um, MA. And one sec, I've written that down. Let me just read that out for our listeners, because then we'll move on to talking about that. But uh, for everyone listening, the title of Nick's master's dissertation was Using Parental Perspectives, How Do Parents View and Experience Parental Involvement? A mixed method study, and we'll talk more about that later for anyone who's not sure, um, of parents across four elementary primary school in the southeast of England. So when I saw your title, obviously, I'm really intrigued. That's why you're here. Um, but I'm really surprised you didn't end up doing your master's on technology. Was that like, um, you know, a specific decision? Was that a, was that hard for you to decide or? Um, it's weird, actually. No, I didn't consider it a second. Actually. Okay, it was an I easy think, decision. <laughs> I, I, it was, actually, I think now, um, I, I, I just I just like 30 seconds, but I go for, for the next thing I might want to do. I was thinking, actually, EdTech 
because I, I always, with my computing hat on, go to BET every year, you know, the EdTech. <gasps> Were you there uh, last month? How did I miss yes, you? Yes, I saw the teacher radio uh, stand. I, oh, you didn't come say hi. hello to us. I don't think, I, I didn't see there were two guys sat there, so I didn't. Oh, that know. wasn't me. Okay, I'll, I'll let you off I'll, then. <laughs> And I go, oh, hi, I'm I'm on the show next week or whatever. Um, but yeah, I did I did think that. So going forward, definitely want to do that. Um, I I don't um, I don't know. I think I became quite fixated on this. It was, I found quite passionate about this. That mm-hmm. I can um, hear your passion definitely. That, that you know, just parents are all these assumptions that parents can do things that they can if we send them the information uh, of what we're doing this week at school on a Friday. You know, this Friday we learnt X Y Z then parents would a care <laughs> b be um kind of they'd have the facilities to do something with that or the knowledge mm-hmm. to be able to help their child mm-hmm. and what if they can't how does that make them how does that make them feel um so i think that just really got me from the first year um yeah. and the more research i read on it i think that's i kind of went down that rabbit hole really never came back Great. No, I love that. I love that you just you, you went with your gut instinct and what your passion was, which is great. But no, that's good to hear. It clearly was the right decision um, for you. So what we're going to do, we've got about 10 minutes till the news. So maybe um, I'll ask the first question I've got about your MA. But I wanted to raise something, Nick, it's really interesting that you chose to look at parents and you noticed that deficit in the literature, because I'm going to just share something that happens yeah. um, at my university. So I run our undergraduate research module which is where all of the students on on my degree primary education studies degree they get to do um, a research dissertation as part of their BA it's it's really brilliant seeing undergraduate students do that research module but the one thing that we often hear from our ethics committee is um, stay away from parents so we get told you know you can interview teachers you can even interview the children do questionnaires with children etc etc um, but there's always very much this kind of almost unspoken thing of don't even try and put in an ethics application to deal with parents um, until you maybe get to that master's level and above. And so maybe this also, you know, partly we don't want to open the can of worms, I guess. But anyway, you you did. I just want to show you that I think that's part of the problem because we're seeing even at undergrad level you know, we want to be respectful of parents and maybe not pry or, but, but you have pride. So let's, let's jump in because no, you have, fast, you that, have pride into it. Yeah. <laughs> that's one thing I really wanted to, to say, before, like even more than the findings really was the, um, the ethics of it. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that's interesting. So they're not allowed to talk to, uh, directly talk to parents as such. Yeah, I mean, so what they'll do is this, the students will each put in an ethics application to the university. I'm, I'm on the, committee panel as well so I review a lot of them but um there is this very much um idea that if you do put in a study with parents it's very likely to get rejected and reframed as a study with teachers yeah okay that's it. Um, that's but again you know when we think parents and carers without the parents and carers the children would not exist <laughs> no. so no, clearly they they deserve a voice so let's jump in with with your study so I know you've already mentioned kind of your MA journey and and your positionality within that. So let's jump straight into methodology. So I see in the title of your dissertation that you did a mixed methods study. So for anyone listening, maybe could you tell us, you know, what is a mixed method study? And then tell us what your um, kind of methodology and your methods look like. Yes, I'm I'm smiling, actually, because that was a big, um, there were two big things, positionality, as in me being a teacher, and mm-hmm. and the methods that I chose, yes. Great. Um, Tell us so, more. Tell us all yeah, about well, your study. Well, the ethics committee was interesting because exactly what you just said there. So I was pretty much um, from the word go, not discouraged, but kind of made it quite clear actually how how were you so as a teacher at the school that you're going to do the study at, that has got a lot of potential to do harm. And I have to admit, it took me weeks and months to realise what that actually meant. So I thought, well, I'm not going to be asking, you know, I'm not going to be asking parents any really personal questions about, you know, um, uh, really kind of intrusive questions. It's just going to be general, generally about how they think about education and their child's learning and things like that. But it was more to do with um, institutional harm. So uh, if... Um, I asked the question about something along the lines of, um, you know, uh, what um, what do you think about 
teaching in your year group, whatever year group your mm -hmm. child is in, if I got back an answer, um, either written or verbal, that then the, the parents might think it might use it as an opportunity to, if you like, have a go at the school. Yeah, yeah. I, th I think this is why it's dissuaded, right? I think this is why they dissuade it even in undergraduates. Def yeah, definitely. Because what are you going to do with that if they if they start complaining? <laughs> that's it. No, no, that's what they were saying. They said it's going to harm you as the researcher, and it could potentially harm the school if you like. Mm -hmm. um, so my first which we don't want to do, of course. You know, it's no, brilliant absolutely. that schools give us that gatekeeper permission, right? Yes, exactly. No, exactly. Um, but the more I was told I couldn't do it, the more I wanted to do it. That's just the way. Just the way that I work. I think. No, it's like I thought. I don't. Okay, I can get around this. Um, but yes, yeah, so it was my positionality because I was an insider because I'm inside um, mm -hmm. the school. And but I, I saw it from the flip side. It's interesting. I saw it as in because I've been there 10, 12 years. I've taught like children in year six. I've taught them in reception. I work wow. back and I and I work back at how many children I would have taught. You know, now at that point I was in year three, so I've seen people ahead of children ahead of me before. So, you know, um, I do the summer fair and the Christmas fair. People, and there aren't many male teachers at my school, unfortunately. Even though it's one of the biggest primary schools in Brian Hove, there's only mm -hmm. about three of us. Three of us. Wow. There's only three male teachers. Um, so it's not obvious. You know. It's, you know which one I am so people will know who I am and so I thought that work in my benefit I might get more nuanced answers or um but yes it's interesting so the, the ethics committee yes sorry I had to um the way I went about it with the mixed methods it all kind of comes together so um mixed methods as in uh I wanted to do I kind of went about the opposite as you're supposed to, I think. I went with the method first, as in I'm going to use a survey because my head was, we have a four-form entry, you know, it's 30. That's it's a big school. 800-odd children. Wow. So time, times that by two for the parents and, and carers um, and, and associated carers. And so that's, a, in my head, that was a big potential pops, if you like, to, you know, kind of an audience you know sample size mm -hmm. so i thought um yes i could when we got the um, school communication system uh, i could i could get a survey out there that will go to everybody but obviously getting the questions right i wanted to have qualitative questions that the the parents could um, write the answers back to so maybe um, maybe can you just tell us there a bit more about qualitative versus yeah. quantitative yeah but there's the thing so um for example like on the survey that it was split between quantitative questions so it's just like um like a yes or no answer back or it's more statistical so mm -hmm, with the mm -hmm. results of the quantitative questions um they are just more statistical answers if you like so so maybe like less uh, less emotional less emotionally laden i guess less emotional yeah that's a good one yes yeah definitely less emotional um doesn't give the parents opportunities to go down a road and say things about the school, if you like. Mm -hmm. um, so the university liked that idea, but I like that. Obviously, I want to get more out of the survey from that. Of um, course, so, yeah. Um, so then you want the emotion, was, right? You want, I want it. The emotion. <laughs> no, exactly. I want the emotion. I want the emotion, but along as long as it's within ethic. Yeah, <laughs> of offense, course. If you like. Um, so then I was kind of had this conversation with uni about um, uh, why don't you do. Um, uh, structured interviews if you like maybe one-to-one -one or group like a focus group uh, maybe like six people um and that's more the qualitative side so you know where you get uh, the written you know kind of nuanced answers back if you like so mm -hmm. that's all open to interpretation so how i analyze that is completely different from how i would analyze the quantitative answers back um you know the quantitative um but so i thought okay i, st I can do both so i managed to put together a survey so it was an online survey um that had a mixture if you like so the mixed method but it's a mixture of the quantitative questions which uh i've got them in front of me so i can't remember any of them top of my head questions like um you know how do you rate the importance of being involved with your with your with your child and and their time at school you know i gave them a list of options you think well-being is important academic progress is important attainment or social skills that your child is exposed to you know so they had the multiple choice questions and then they had a ranking question you know most important least important mm -hmm. so i put those 
but then I had at least four and I really we spent about three months honing down the kind of open-ended questions if you like so the qualitative open-ended questions so that wow. I think that a really nice balance then so I see yes. the mixed study the mixed method study comes from this this really interesting balance you found yes I think so yeah and I really wanted to do and I had to justify that quite I think like ethics three times kind of came back and um the, you know it was complete no to begin with and then it was kind of just just hone the questions a bit more because um obviously I was thinking big <laughs> thinking 800 students that I can ask all about the demographics and does gender affect you know if you're a male parent or a female parent and uh, the age mm -hmm. of the child all these things um but I had to keep it a little bit more kind of less um intrusive if you like of course but, yes but also I needed to I needed those little bit intrusive questions so I can get some really good responses so um, and I suppose that, that's part of the ethical protection is that participants don't have to answer every question as well so I suppose Yes. They they do still have the power, right? And this is the thing. So I made it clear, right clear at the beginning. Um, yeah. So because um, obviously people were used to having um, like a consent forms to go out for an interview. So yeah, the consent forms on the first page of the of the survey um, expressed exactly that. It's all confidential. It's all going to be anonymous. Um, your name's not going to be used, uh, and you can back out anytime you like. You just just close the app down just just close the close the survey down um you can amazing get the oh survey. my gosh so, and how many yeah. what's your sample size how many participants so, uh i had 110 so okay this, see, this seems like a good sample size it's about eight eight ten percent yeah no it's more than so it was interesting that was what i was secretly aiming for i think more than uni thought i was going to get so i was i think we were yeah very good that, yeah. um but yeah the um the qualitative questions where it took me months to get because obviously I had no experience at that point of how you do like thematic analysis like pull out all the themes from the different mm -hmm, responses mm -hmm. so yeah I got some got some fascinating um, things back on that but that was yeah so 800 110 110 participants amazing okay right Nick I'm going to cut you off there because yeah. this is the perfect place to stop we have heard that you've sent out this uh, mixed method survey we're going to jump to the news don't go anywhere Nick don't go anywhere listeners we've got hello west over in USA today we've got David here in the UK we've got Saya listening in uh, don't go away anyone we'll be back in six minutes to hear what Nick found out <laughs> back with you soon this show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world have you checked out their latest releases use the code JCTTR 2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Introducing Eton X from Eton College, a diverse range of quality online courses enabling young people to aspire and excel. Designed for self-study, these web-based courses empower your students with essential leadership, communication and academic skills for success at school and beyond. Our study skills course sharpens their learning abilities, while the AI Fundamentals course equips them with vital digital know-how in a fast-changing world. Other popular courses include verbal communication, critical thinking, writing skills, resilience, creative problem solving, and many more. Offer the Eaton X curriculum in your school for free. Visit eatonx.com to find out more. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. We have featured the issue of overseas students applying to UK universities a number of times on Teachers Talk Radio News. This year's application figures have recently been released. An analysis by the BBC shows the numbers are up for the second year in a row. The latest data shows over 115,000 students from outside the UK have applied, up almost 1,000 on last year. The rise comes despite tougher government rules to help reduce migration. It also follows accusations that universities have lowered standards to recruit overseas students, who can be charged more than students from the UK. 
Despite the rise, the number remains below pre-pandemic levels. UCAS Chief Executive Dr Joe Saxton said UK applications have also risen in recent years. However, Vivian Stern, Chief Executive of Universities UK, said the figures did not tell the whole story, as applications do not always translate into enrolments. She said that any future fall in enrolments could make it more difficult for universities to offer places to home students due to the financial impact. Ms Stern went on to explain that UK universities may be less appealing to overseas students due to policy changes around bringing family, competition from universities in the US and Australia and unhelpful government rhetoric. Full details of the story can be found on the BBC News website. The Mathematical Association's Twitter feed draws attention to changes announced by government on maths and English condition of funding for 16 to 19 year old learners. The changes, which can be found on the government website, include minimum teaching hours for full-time students, saying that they should be three hours per week for English and four hours per week for maths. It also states this should be standalone, whole class, in-person teaching. The extra hour reflects the existing expectation should be prioritised to ensure students receive a standard number of taught hours. Compliance will be measured for the academic year 2025 to 26. Full details of the impact on funding and other changes can be found on www.gov.uk. The post on Twitter did prompt renewed concerns about maths teacher recruitment and timetabling issues. FE Week also featured a story on the changes, calling them unworkable and a backward step. Wales Online features a story about languages teaching and qualifications, but not in the way you might expect. Whilst the Welsh National Party have long campaigned for increasing Welsh language teaching, members of the Wales Somaliland community are urging the Welsh Government to include a GCSE in Somali language in the new Welsh curriculum. The community is writing to Education Minister Jeremy Miles to explain the importance of this to the 15,000 strong Somaliland community, saying it is important for young people to recognise and gain qualifications in their language and heritage. Community activist Ali Abdi said it was important that the large number of Somali pupils studying Welsh secondary schools learned their mother tongue and be recognised for their linguistic and cultural heritage. According to Mr Abdi, introducing a Somali GCSE aligns with the Welsh Government's commitment to diversity, equality and social justice. Finally, the BBC reports on research which has examined children's attitudes towards the monarchy. The outcome of the research suggests more support for the royals among state schools than in private ones. The study by King's College London found 66% of children in state schools aged 6 to 12 had a positive view of the monarchy, compared with 56% in private. It also found higher levels of support among children than among teens and young adults. The findings were based on questions for 2,000 pupils across 200 schools. The findings on primary school children in England, Scotland and Wales were in stark contrast to the views of young adults, with a YouGov twice yearly poll showing only 27% of 18 to 24 year olds saw the monarchy as good for Britain. The researchers said the primary children responding to questions around the monarchy had said it made them feel happy, excited or proud. Researchers could not explain the difference between state and private, but suggested it could reflect higher levels of international pupils in the private school sample meaning they could have less of a connection to the British royal family. Further details of the research and its findings, as well as comparisons with other studies, can be found on the BBC News website. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live. Well, welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. I'm glad you didn't leave us. Uh, welcome back, Nick, our guest. Hi. Welcome back. A uh, little bit of spicy news there for those of you that just listened to our news bulletin that um, children clearly don't seem to uh, care for the monarchy in England. That's our Friday headline. 
Um, so here today joining us is not to talk about the study of children not liking monarchy, but we have got Nick Huxley here, a year four teacher in England, talking to us about his recent master's dissertation. So Nick, remind us, what was the title of your dissertation, please? Uh, the title was uh, um, Using Parental Perspectives. How do parents view and experience parental involvement? Uh, a mixed method study of parents across the four formentary primary school in the southeast of England. Thank you, Nick. I bet you've typed that a few times. <laughs> yeah, no, I had to read it very slowly. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of words, but good detail. Um, so if you were here with us before the break, Nick was explaining his background, his interest, uh, and how it led him to a master's into parental views. If you missed the start, don't worry, you can listen back on the Teachers Talk Radio website. So we were at the point where, um, Nick, you were explaining before the news how you sent out this mixed method study, study and you had 110 participants, which is an amazing sample. Um, and I'm hoping that we've only got 20 minutes left, but maybe we can spend this 20 minutes you can just reflect on your findings for us, talk to us about what you found, what the parents thought, um, and then maybe move on to thinking about um, where your own journey might continue to go from here. Does that sound okay? That sounds great, yeah, thank you. Great, yeah, thank so you first yeah. question then, um, reflecting on your findings, what were some of those main things that you found from your master's study? Yeah, I, I think overall, um, uh, it's the diversity of views from such, I know I say it's 110 uh, uh, you know, sample size of parents. Um, so I guess in the scheme of things, um, that's relatively small um, to make generalizations, but the diversity even within that sample size was, was, was huge, absolutely huge. But um, so that's one of the main things. And I was thinking, so it's all, almost like it's not a, we, it's almost going back to the, the thing I said initially about not one size fits all for how do you encourage parental involvement, if you like, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. with such a diversity of views. But that's your overall thing. Um, yeah, it's a couple of themes. Is that okay? Can I just run through them? Yeah, just just go through. We'll, we'll sit yeah. back and relax. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it says the um, lockdown and homeschooling came up as a really big theme because the it was sent out, the survey, what, 2020... Uh, three so a couple of years after lockdown finished um, and I didn't explicitly ask about lockdown in the questions so the fact that it came up as a real theme throughout mm -hmm. the survey um, and the reason even in there there's such a diversity of opinions about lockdown and homeschooling so um, we've got like things from uh, <laughs> redefining an appreciation for teachers which is fascinating as in people realize like, how hard teaching is and um, there's a great quote here that it made us more aware of the importance of teaching professionals and their role in shaping my child's experience. So you hear things like that. This is fantastic. Um, and then but also you then have like a double edged sword of, of being involved from parents. Um, so you've got a comment, a great comment somebody said about I, I managed to teach my child fractions in an hour. So they were quite you know that's you know they felt very kind of empowered mm -hmm, whereas mm -hmm. you've you then had the opposite of fill it filled me with dread going on and, yeah. a hatred of google, and a hatred of google classrooms that it was almost 50 50 across across the spit you know without me directly asking the question about mm -hmm. that i just the, the question i did ask that got all these homeschooling and kind of lockdown questions was about uh, um how how do you think you could be empowered more at home to to be more involved with your child learning okay. Uh, okay and they all went back to that and um yeah kind of digital exclusion as well if you like um but then also um there was interesting where some parents had the perspective of they didn't feel trained up enough or they didn't have enough knowledge to teach their child so um and how it kind of broke the balance between home and school so balancing home and school role. So there's a great comment. I'm not just going to read, but this is a really good one. Oh yeah, um, share, share some of your data with us, definitely. You know, one comment was um, attempting to do this, we're talking about home learning and lockdown, attempting to do this harmed our relationship as it blurred the relationship between home and school. And that's- Wow, harmed the relationship. Yeah, so that's, wow. that's, that's bordering on the ethics that we mentioned earlier that I might, you know, cause harm for the participants. Cause that, uh, yeah, but that just, for me, that really underscored the complexity of um, 
the dual roles that parents were expected to play in lockdown you know mm-hmm. they had their, their own life their own work and being, being a parent but is that whole going back to our looks at the policy the whole narrative of what it means to be responsible for your child and being involved in their learning um mm-hmm. and actually the a different person said this is um i felt a combination of the guilt rage total inadequacy total inadequacy as a parent i mean that's quite wow uh, that's quite something isn't it so that's guilt and so, rage built in rage yes, yes wow. rage. um and you think okay so take a step back from that you know going forward as as, as our school that's just our school isn't it so going forward our school so you put expectations on parents to be doing um certain certain kind of activities with children where not everybody will feel that way you're going to have people who, who feel like that so mm-hmm. from a personal level i thought that was interesting. I'm not looking back on it. I'm not sure I would have got that kind of insight from a focus group. You know, you would have been there with a focus group, people saying how much they loved it. And I think it would have been taking a brave person to have said that in public. So having that, mm-hmm. you know, with that kind of thing. Um, but then again, you had the home, you know, personalised you know, pers- uh, personalised learning. One parent said it's really rewarding and um, they had the, the great opportunity for the one-to-one situation for instruction. So that really that was really really a big eye opener for me that's the number one thing that came back was homeschooling and lockdown how that's when you ask them about being involved in the learning they think oh lockdown that was and different yeah. opinions um yeah the other, the other big one was curriculum and knowledge understanding which is fascinating because um you think about it it's so obvious isn't it you expect parents to be able to run with um you know phonics um at primary school or um you you expect to be able to do the column addition method <laughs> without really explaining to them how how they do yes, it. Yeah. um and so parents were expressing a real desire for more detailed communication with what their child is learning but also how they learn it so how how do you teach my child what are your teaching methods um so one person said it, it it's being being a parent now has made me aware that maths is now taught rather differently as to how I was taught it um and that came up quite a lot so it's kind mm-hmm. of that made me think um um you know running specific parent workshops if you like um and you've got a, a, a particular person here saying that she attended a maths workshop designed uh, to explain how maths is taught to children and didn't understand anything that was said but i was wow. too embarrassed i was too embarrassed to say so in the classroom full of other adults and i have to admit i've been to one of those the one of those parent workshops not for my school when my children were, were small a completely different school but it was an evening twilight mass workshop i kind of got what was going on but i could sense around me that people were getting quite uneasy um so i think just thinking like going forward schools need to be quite aware of that um you know that relationship you know it's mm-hmm. a two-way it's a two-way relationship and um, exactly not every parent has that has that self-belief that they can you know in their ability to to um support their child's education if you like um so yeah that was that was that was another big one another big one was um um parent school collaboration and partnerships again it was um this is interesting so communication on updates of learning so i've written it out on a whiteboard here because i made sure i definitely wanted to say this <laughs> so, um you've got um perspectives on attainment and updates on learning so it was irrespective of how parents rated the importance of attainment so there was a, like a quantitative question that said how do you rate um kind of attainment you know test scores if you like um in your child's life um in education so irrespective of what parents thought of that if they thought it was really important or uh, not important at all all parents there was a real consistent expression for regular need for updates of what their children are learning so across the board you know the deviation was like nothing for uh, we, we we really want to know what our children are learning and how they are learning it, it didn't matter if that parents wasn't interested in attainment or test scores or you know, you know how they ranked it so for me that that was a real kind of eye-opener that um and i was quite proud of that one because that only came about because i did the mixed methods so i could merge the two data sets together and, and get that answer um mm-hmm. so interesting yes that, that's a really good one and how and how they communicate that out really 
Um, and what's it? School communication. Um, so yes, regular updates on learning. And again, okay. that is so diverse as well. So um, regular updates on learning, yes, but equally, you get the 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 conversation about um, how. So that came up with real diverse. So you had um, more you know, more communication from the school on ways to support my child. Um, uh, parents opportunities for parents to learn more about the impacts of being involved on 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 their child's education. Mm -hmm. But then you had information overload. You know, there was quite a, uh, a consistent expression. Actually, we're overwhelmed by electronic communication. Wow. Um, so. So what a word real, as well overwhelmed really powerful overwhelmed, yes really um I, I parents feel i'm overwhelmed with le electronic communication um and verbal communication would be much more effective which is interesting because as a as a teacher myself to you know have have a with 30 children in the class to have that actual verbal communication with the parent on a daily basis is just not it's just not feasible is it so mm -hmm. um you know how how do you improve that how do you deepen if you like that parent teacher dialogue yeah. um and some people then the real uh, real theme was the real frequency of people saying about interactions with teachers so uh, parents evenings are great um but actually funny <laughs> parents evenings didn't score very highly at all so wow really like, you know twice a year three times a year people really like more contact with teachers about again how to support their learning how not not just what your child has done and updates this week but how how can i help them at home you know what are they struggling in um and if they are struggling how can i and or if they're not if they're ex, if they're excelling how can i how can i keep up with them if you like and and, yeah. and push to me so it was a real a real mixture um and how parents evening should really be focused a bit more on on, on progress on rather than just like a general update so that's obviously that's across the whole primary school, isn't it? So you've got four teachers per year group. So that's like 16 odd teachers we've got there. Wow. Um, so, yes, that was uh, those were the main ones, I think. Have I left anything off out there? I think. But I think for me, it's like that parents want to be active contributors, if you like, and partners. Mm -hmm. that, that really came across. Um, but they've all got different contexts. So and, you know, those. Um, those contexts aren't aren't static, if you like. They're always changing, so and they're very dynamic. So I guess it's for schools to try and um, figure out, you know, to be aware of that changing landscape. But you know, the parents, you know, living really. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's I think that's all of them. I could go. I could. I could it's just fascinating. It's so forever, interesting. But, yeah. Is is um, there anywhere that um, our listeners can read your full dissertation? Is that publicly available? um yeah not yet no but I, I i i'm open to ideas on how to do that because um once it's their university they don't publish it on their library not ma ones they don't not at not at the university i went to so um i would be very open to oh well we all have to have a conversation that. after the the show uh, in the next couple of weeks and have a think we're more than happy to to just give you some free coaching ideas how to move that forward yeah Thank you. Exciting. I, feel like there, is, I think there's so many stuff things. we need even, to share, Nick. <laughs> even saying out loud to you, it's got me re-energised about that and thinking, Yay. okay, actually, I did find out quite a lot of things that we could use, you know. Um, Definitely. Not, on, Definitely. A, on a higher scale, you know, like the policy in practice, um, you know, policymakers, obviously, I, I don't have direct influence on that, but I do have direct influence on my own school or my local authority because mm -hmm. um, I also thought maybe you know, sharing it with local authority I mean it'd be fantastic to do the same literally the same kind of survey for like the same analysis on another school a different area, different area of Brighton different primary school of Brighton and if, yeah. if the same themes keep coming back that's something that people need to take notice of yeah that would be fascinating. Like even in our news clip today, we heard the the difference between private and mainstream. That could maybe be something to compare. Uh, we're very often very different parental um, influence in those, those settings. That's I'm I'm very fascinated by that too as well actually. Um, so I think dogs bark in the background. Sorry, but <laughs> dogs are always uh, welcome on the radio. <laughs> I am um, I am fascinated by that actually. So um, the the divide, you know that that. Um, within within a state school you have that uh, disadvantaged um uh, you know gap the attainment gap kind of on 
is that there's always a conversation about trying to close that gap. Um, but yeah, looking at the gap between the, the private and the state, because I, I have limited experience of the, of the private school sector, but just uh, other teachers I know who've moved to private schools, it's like mm-hmm. the expectation to communicate Literally, all things I said there, isn't it? Communicating with parents. Exactly, a lot of those things. On a a day-to-day basis, it's expected. But but they have like 12 12 children in the class, don't they? So it's... So maybe something here for your PhD, Nick. What do you think? Maybe. Well, (laughs) yeah, I think I am toying with that idea. And I have... um, Yeah, I mean, that's... That's that, that would be that would be incredible. I've, it's funny you said earlier about um, why didn't I choose uh, technology to um, you know uh, for my kind of MA uh, theory um, with my because I have that technology background and I'm you know currently the computing lead. Um, and going forward, I thought if I did do an MA, I would love to look at the use of AI in um, uh, how to kind of in how can AI really be used to enhance children's educational out- outcomes. Um, um, how could could AI help to um, close those attainment gaps, if you like? Because um, I remember when I went to BET, I was a lot of things I was thinking there. Actually, um, loads of AI talks I went to, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but I was getting a little bit worried there about like maybe the disparity between different types of schools, so state sector and private independent sector schools, um, because you know it's that digital divide. That was the thing that came up. Um, on my research from parents, you know, the digital divide between using Google Classrooms or whatever you use, um, some parents having that that ability, that knowledge to use that technology. Um, and we talk about that digital divide there for, for children, but it got me thinking about a digital divide between state and private sector. Mm. Um, See, it's good yeah, we had this conversation. <laughs> yes, it's just that. There you go, and then it's... apply to, to my university. I'll be your supervisor. There we go. <laughs> okay, like that. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, I can't believe it. They say times fly when you're having fun, Nick. We've got four minutes left. Wow. So um, you've already started to think about the, the move forward. It sounds like you're going to need like four PhDs for all these brilliant ideas. <laughs> I'm talking um, with the idea. Yes, that is definitely one of so I guess uh, just the last one to ask you really was kind of like a, a personal reflection. Like in the last few minutes, is there anything you just wanted to to share? Like what have you learned? How have you grown? Has it changed you through doing your master's study? Just any, you know, any final words of wisdom maybe for any of our listeners who are thinking about doing a master's themselves maybe? What's your experience been? Yeah, no, thank you. Uh, definitely. Uh, that's because um, I know I was in that position. Shall I do a master's or shall I not? And it opened my mind up so much to... Um, just to research and just to question things. It really, um, I must be quite irritated at school when we do things like, where's that research come from? Where's that? Um, You know, there was one, my first year I was doing uh, um, about uh, disadvantaged children. um, And we're talking, there was some research that all schools were quoting about um, so many millions of words children have heard when they get to the age of four and how disadvantaged children had heard like, million words i can't remember the figure but there's a lot less words um and i looked at the research i interrogated that and it was just you know that the research that was that, that was based on some research in america in a small town with like 10 families or something mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. and then that was then extrapolated out and then 20 years later suddenly in the school in brighton we're quoting that is that's that you know that is gospel and that's what happened so it really opened my 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 mind up to the possibilities that research can wow. help, help in education and um i don't regret doing it for a second i really don't love really that and i must just add i really admire you i think you're a great role model um when i was doing my masters as a teacher and even my phd i did as a teacher i i always felt like it was a dirty secret i felt like it wasn't it was almost like, why are you researching when you should be concentrating on your marking and your <laughs> your yes. planning? So I don't know if yes. you if you ever felt that way as well. Definitely. Like, I, I feel like not to... enough teachers find the, the space to pursue study and research. Absolutely. There's one teacher at the moment my, at my school and she's uh, she started it, but she's like, oh, I don't know whether I should carry on. I've done your own oh, one. No. I was like, no, trust me, it gets better. And you just need to you just need to be really um kind of self-disciplined i got to the point where uh, i did i know I, I love teaching i absolutely love teaching um but it got to the point where i thought actually i need my for my well-being this is mm-hmm. what i need to do and so i need to decomp you know compartmentalize if you like this time yeah. i am doing ma this time 
I am teaching. So yeah, I had to be quite I hard love myself. that. I love that. And I love that you mentioned well-being as well, Nick, because certainly for me, my study and my research has always been my me time. Like you equally sound very busy, you know, a dad, a teacher, all of those roles. So did you did you find that your master's was kind of your you time as well? Yes, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I would often share it with my wife, um, bits and pieces. Um, but when I went to the dissertation, I, I just got really focused on it. I just say, I won't let anybody look at it. It was my I love my that. Has so, your, has your yeah. wife read it now? Uh, yes. Yes. She loves it. Yes. Oh, I love that. This wonderful. Sounds like a very, very supportive family. That's lovely. No, she's very proud. That's really, really lovely. Uh, well, big shout out to Nick's family, as you should be very proud. A really fantastic study. I just want to end the show by saying thank you so much for coming and sharing your study with us, Nick. Thank you for having me. Honestly, it's been amazing. I can't express so much. Thank you for having me on. Oh, wonderful. And I'll look forward to seeing where your journey goes next. Let's definitely have a chat uh, in the future. I'll give you some ideas of where you might want to pursue publication. And hopefully, maybe we'll have you back in, in a year's time telling us that you've started a PhD. <laughs> Deal. Yay! Um, We just just to end the show, just say David's put a lovely comment in the chat there for you, Nick. Um, Say thanks for inviting us along, and it's clear you've got lots of passion for your field of education. So thank you, David. Thank thank you, everyone who's listening in. Uh, Nick, I wish you a wonderful weekend. Thank you very much, and And, uh, yeah, hopefully catch up with you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. That was Nick Huxley there, our amazing guest talking about his master's study. Do remember you can listen back to all of our shows, including this one, if you missed the start, on Teachers Talk Radio website. I wish you all the best weekend. The sun's coming out here in London, so I'm going to go and enjoy it with my children the last day of half term today. Uh, But I would not miss a show for you guys. Have to be here with you. So thank you for joining me. It means a lot. Enjoy the weekend. I'll be back with another very special guest very, very soon. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.